Covid was a rude awakening for manufacturing. It almost came to a standstill. CIOs have started to rethink operations and modern technologies like extended reality for remote assistance and collaboration. Collaboration in virtual reality, remote control with mixed reality and expert assistance among others. But do business leaders realize the implications and value of extended reality for the long-term strategy? Let's find out. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology and its business impact. My guest today is Randy Nunes, Tech Trends lead at Ford Motors. He has nearly 30 years of experience researching emerging technology trends and identifying those with most promising business impact. Evaluating the business impact of extended reality in the manufacturing industry is one of his key focus areas at Ford. With his hands-on experience in resolving the complex challenges of extended reality and broader knowledge in implementing the underlying infrastructure including telecom, I look forward to getting a fresh perspective on the practical value and readiness of extended reality for enterprises. So without further ado, let me welcome Randy Nunes. Randy, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Ashish. I appreciate it. Great. So, you've been in the manufacturing industry from not mistaken for good 30 years so would love to hear uh, you know your side of the story what you've been working on and the kind of technologies you have looked at and definitely on this topic of extended reality you now whenever you know feel um, correct please give us a, a you know a 30 second view of what it is and you know we hear terms like augmented reality artificial intelligence um virtual reality and, and extended reality what's the difference so extended reality is the full spectrum which includes two key technologies it includes virtual reality and augmented reality so really extended reality or xr is the 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 entire continuum of that so virtual reality is a 100% computer generated world created by a computer and if you're wearing any kind of head mounted devices your the real world is totally occluded or hidden from your view so it's totally computer generated world it might be trying to achieve real world or it might be trying to achieve fantasy world like a lot of the games augmented reality is taking that digital content that digital information and introducing it into the real world with you. Now it might be a lower fidelity version where for example a smartphone or a monocular or single lens smart eyewear device shows you some information that is not really co-located with the real world. Uh, but the true augmented reality is where you present present that digital information and it integrates with the real world it might be geolocated or in the same proximity then there's another term that's used called mixed reality which is another level of augmented reality where you you can you can use some smart eyewear devices binoc binocular based smart eyewear devices that really immerse you and so the the digital objects take a more 3D or more realistic view you can walk around them and and things are very very geolocated okay and virtual reality is that the same as mixed or is that a totally new domain different well, domain yes so what i think of mixed reality i think of it as the highest fidelity domain of augmented reality 
Uh, so because with mixed reality, you're in the real world and the virtual world. And when I think of virtual reality, you're 100% in the virtual world. These definitions are somewhat loose depending on who you talk to, but that's the way I look at it. Great. Now, thanks for that explanation. I think it's important to distinguish between, you know, your your explanation about, you know, 100% computer generated versus, you know, combination of digital info plus real world is a, is a good distinction. So let's let's dive into a little bit of extended reality, right? And then, so why extended reality? And, you know, what is really driving tech leaders like yourself to look at it and, and even evaluate it? It's really around the capabilities that extended reality brings to you. And I'll give you a few use case examples. Design visualization. The ability to take the digital content that is created, for example, if you're creating a product, and being able to visualize that digital data in a more realistic, immersive format. As you can imagine, when you're, for example, developing or creating a car, our vehicle. What we do a lot of is we would do physical prototypes with clay and wood and things like that. And those are time consuming and expensive. If you want to change the color of a clay model, that's a time and, and labor intensive solution. However, if you take that exact digital model, put it in a, for example, a virtual reality environment, and you can create a very realistic version of that. And so if you're trying to, if you want to look at different colors of something, you can change that in seconds. So it can drastically reduce the development time. A couple of other key areas, uh, one that you will probably bring up around COVID-19 is see what I see a remote expert. So this is more on the augmented reality side. So the ability to have someone who's not co-located with you give you guidance and direction on how to repair something, how to install something, or what kind of issues might come up. So in this case, the the local user who needs help might have a tablet or smartphone or might put on a pair of smart eyewear and take your camera and through a collaboration solution, beam that camera over to that remote expert. And if they're using smart eyewear, the local person can be working with their hands while the expert is guiding them. And then last but not least, in training or guided instructions. So, for example, in virtual reality, you might want to train someone on a nuclear meltdown in a pure digital environment versus a real environment. And then on the AR side, you can actually give people instructions while they're doing the work with their hands using AR overlays. Uh, and all of these have a, an an angle on this whole collaboration piece where you can either immersively more collaborate or share with people that aren't physically co-located with you. Very interesting. So are these still concepts or, you know, the technology has matured and it's been used uh, in the enterprises now, like in manufacturing processes or for process optimization or, or other you know things that you mentioned design, uh, support, and training? These technologies are real. Ford, for example, has been designing vehicles and assessing them, doing design reviews with virtual reality technology for many years, 
probably more than a decade. Having said that, it's still a bit on the emerging side. For example, on the VR side, the hardware is pretty mature. And it's being adopted and used by enterprises for a lot of different use cases. The software on the virtual reality side, it still needs more professional developers to create that content. But there are more and more codeless content creation tools available. On the AR side, uh, there were challenges with battery life, heat generation, weight, and especially with the user interface. But great strides have been made in this space. And for example, there's a number of, of smart eyewear vendors that can now offer AR products at scale. They can scale up. On the AR software side, there's a lot of vendors for the See What I See remote expert solution and guided instructions. And there's, there's slightly bit more codeless content creation capabilities in the AR space versus VR. So people like myself who aren't developers can actually create instructions versus having a developer write it from scratch. And, and why is that? Why, why, you know, it seems like, you know, from an AR perspective, and is it because you're, you know, overlaying a content on something which is already exist and then VR is, you know, 100%, you know, of course, virtual and the kind of content you would create is very customized. Is that the reason or is there anything else? Well, I, I think it's more of the use case itself. So if you look at, at, at AR from a, from a pure training or guided instructions use case, it's very similar to creating a presentation. So you can, uh, you, what you're doing is basically creating workflows. So you want, you're just providing, you're just writing step by step instructions. And so if people have built tools that look a lot like what you and I might create for a presentation. And so it's a familiar construct. And it's not that virtual reality doesn't have that, but typically when you're doing training with virtual reality, you want a very realistic model. And if those models are complex, like they're building structures, structures or um, a large type of technology solution, like for, for example, we have these things called laser brazing cells where they braze a roof onto a vehicle. Those have a lot of moving parts and they require quite a bit of work to take it from the CAD to the, the, uh, to a solution or a, a software technology that can convert it to something that a VR headset can digest. So it's a, it's a bit about some of the use cases that are in, in flight. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, you know, VR has been used, you know, you know in Ford for many years. And I was reading some of the reports out there as well that says, you know, 60%, more than 60% of the manufacturers, at least, you know, through, this, through the samples that they interviewed, um, are already using AR. So, um, so it seems like there is a adoption happening, even though, you know, a lot of this has emerged over the last few years more than, you know, it was 10 years ago. Um, as a consultant, right, if I, if I just give a, you know, a scenario for you is like as a consultant, if you have to really convince business leaders to persuade them to adopt these technologies and invest in it, you know, what would be some of your rationales and reasons? 
Well, I think some of them are around re, uh, saving money, making money, or improving processes. So if you can show the business, if you have, if a business has an issue that this problem can solve, and it can solve it elegantly and cost effectively, then I think you, you start to see that level of adoption drive. So there, there's a big push for having a specific ROI. And, and I don't doubt that that exists. But a lot of times, if you can sort of kick the tires yourself, try the technology, do some proofs of concepts, and demonstrate the value, the potential value, you can, and you can get the right sponsor, executive sponsorship, I think you can move forward with those tools without having a specifically calculated ROI. Okay. I think, I think that's um, definitely, you know, those three elements are the crux of, you know, the business case, right? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, you want to save money through any technology adoption. You want to make money um, and you want to improve, you know, operational efficiencies. Um, in your experience, right, um, can you share some of the, you know, prototypes you have done with the technology or as you were evaluating something that stood out to you and said, wow, okay, this makes sense. I couldn't have done it without this technology. Uh, can you share any of such examples where it, you know, it, it make you think, wow, this is, this is really cool. I'll give you one example and it's around operator training. So it's using augmented reality and smart eyewear to see if you can br- reduce the ramp up time for an employee on, in a specific operation that they have to do. So we have, for example, different assembly processes and we also, for example, might have machining processes. And some of those processes can be very confusing to people, mostly around the, the actual HMIs of the machines can be a bit difficult and intimidating to try to remember the steps that you need to do in order to properly configure or maintain the machine. And we took some less experienced people from the assembly side to a, a very difficult area in the machining area, in the machining space that we were having a bit of a challenge to to train people and we found using the technology we could take the operator training from weeks to hours wow <laughs> and and the reason behind it is because you didn't have to memorize the steps and by providing them the data right in front of them what do you need to do validate what you did, and move on, we gave them not only the competence, but the confidence to do a job of a more experienced person. So, so in other words, can I say this was giving them a hands-on training, so you don't, you don't, you're not reading instructions and trying to figure out what you need to do, but you're actually doing it? That's exactly right. Wow. You, you said something which is very interesting in, in many industries, including, I'm sure, in manufacturing is... is uh, not an exception in that skill gap. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of 
what kind of skill gap do you see in in manufacturing that a technology like this can can bridge well like a lot of companies and a lot of industries that have been around for a long time we have an aging workforce and i can say that because i'm part of that aging workforce <laughs> but there is the uh, issue of how do you capture and how do you pass on that tacit knowledge that uh, that a lot of experienced workers have to the newer workers. And so we have uh, the skills gap is a lot of times the, the training is done by shadowing or working with someone who's more experienced. And what, what you may find is each person may approach the, the training a bit different. Sometimes people who are SMEs aren't necessarily very good trainers. So you get inconsistencies. So what we've noticed is if you can take a very complex issue, break it down into very small steps with one action per step, and provide that whenever the person needs it, and if you can do it in a hands-free fashion while they're doing their work, it, it takes a lot of the pressure out of memorizing and learning the job. The, the other the other two things I like to talk about is we have a, the, the millennial t- folks, we call them digital natives. So they not only want, but they expect technology to be part of their workforce. And so they are not only not intimidated by new technology, but they are they are expecting it in the workforce. And when you're competing with other companies for the talent, you really need to look at what role technology can play in attracting and retaining that talent. That's a very interesting perspective, uh, Randy. On even, you know, a lot of people don't think that way of attracting talent and providing uh, the, you know, what you call work satisfaction because yeah of course you know if we are also used to technology now if i if you don't see that uh if you ask me to become a librarian right now and just collect books i'll feel bored very quickly i am in front of computer all the time and um, no that's a very important point so but does this technology also give expands the horizon of who you're hiring because or where you're hiring because now you can work remotely Using this? Well, that is that is a little hard to say. It really depends on the nature of the people themselves and and the work itself. So, for example, if you ha- if you have a more skilled person that's working remotely, that person might be used to more person to person type interactions. So, if you take a knowledge worker like myself, we started working remotely even while we were physically in the office. So it really depends on the mindset of those skilled or expert workers. And sometimes it, it can be very successful. There are times, though, that you, sometimes being there physically is how people are used to working. Some people still like to write on pencil, but using pen and paper instead of using your computer. Like me. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I had, for example, some managers that said they use 
pen and paper to write the important things now. And they use a computer for everything else. So I think it really it's really hard to say. It, it could be, but it really depends on those factors. No, I agree. I think there's a the preference of being in person versus working remote. I mean, that is, you know, there are many factors that are involved in it. But I'm I was just trying to assess is is do you see uh, the role of the technology coming to you know to an extent that it becomes conceivable that manufacturing processes uh, can be operated and and run remotely. Um, you know, it could be from home or from completely remote operations uh, using technologies like AR, VR, and, and extended reality. Um, so that that's really what I was trying mm. to assess. If if you know going forward, is would that would you see that becoming, if not pervasive, but a norm uh, to to some extent that some of the operations have uh, ch- it will change to accommodate because now it is possible. I think that for the the general manufacturing processes of assembly and things like that, probably not, because it still requires very much a hands-on approach to get the work done. There might be, for example, some support capabilities that can be done remotely. Instead of having someone travel to a physical location and they are stationed in another part of the world, we could definitely have them do use some of the see what I see remote expert AR capabilities to prevent that. But the lion's share of the work for, if you look at a real practical example of assembly in a manufacturing environment, probably not, because you're still going to have workers. What you will have is you will have the an augmented worker, a worker that can flexibly move from job to job. A lot of times what we have is people who are specialties in specific jobs, and they're very good at those jobs. When they are absent, however, the overall productivity of the plant may suffer. And with an augmented worker, it would be easier and faster to upskill them given using these types of technology. Interesting. Great. So talking about remote, I know COVID forced everyone to be remote. Uh, although we are not talking AR, we are here, just, you know, Zoom calls at this point, but from a, from a remote work from home perspective. But um, considering you've been, you know, so involved with technology and uh, you've seen many over the last 30 years, give me a good COVID story. What is your COVID story of, you know, anything around extended reality or AR, VR that came to fruition during this and say, oh, wow, you know, this is going to be my COVID story of how we were able to utilize it during this pandemic. Yes. So we have a few areas where we have, we send Ford people to remote locations that are not Ford locations to provide some level of guidance or support. Well, as you can imagine, in March of 2020, when travel was all but shut down, there was a strong interest in how can we continue to give the kind of support that we need to our customers. And while there were several projects in flight in these areas, this specifically see what I see remote expert type, those suddenly got escalated and were brought much faster 
to a more productionized environment. And so what the result was, we felt we could give the kind of service or very close to the kind of service we were giving in person remotely using these AR type technologies. So was there an aha type moment where, you know, said, oh, wow, this is actually working? (laughs) Yes, because the alternative wasn't. Having someone not being there was not working. Uh, Typical phone calls and conference calls were not working. And as we introduced the technology, it, it brought a level of, of immersion to the remote, from the remote expert to the local user that enabled them to be able to annotate certain areas on the screen and uh, be able to have their hands on working on something while they were talking with the expert. Great. That's, that's really good to hear. So we've, we've definitely talked about that the, you know, you mentioned earlier that definitely the technology is mature. Of course, it's still emerging. I generally like to find out, you know, the alignment gaps in the industry. And, you know, I'm going to ask you the same question here as well, is where do you see the alignment gaps in the industry? And that could be, you know, between what vendors, in fact, you know, I I see, I hear a lot of noise, you know, from what vendors claim that the product has versus, you know, what you see as an enterprise user, its readiness uh, from your experience. Uh, The second type of alignment could be, you know, what you as a technologist feel about is readiness versus what the business owners uh, feel its readiness to invest in it. And generally, the third type of readiness I look for is the readiness of the technology versus the readiness of the ecosystem um, to actually make it uh, ready for mass adoption. So if we can, you know, break down some of these alignment gaps, and I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, where do you see uh, these gaps still exist and what needs to be done to, you know, um, to resolve them? Well, I think there's probably, as in most technologies, there's still gaps in, in some of these areas. So I'm almost going to take two of them and kind of put them together. So the, the one you talked about, well, vendors are telling us what their capabilities are versus what our experience is, and then the readiness of the technology versus the our ecosystem. So one of the things we see, for example, is if you – introduce a vendor product in your environment, perhaps your security profile will impact the capability or usability of the product. And that's something that you don't really know until you actually try it out in your own environment. So it could be something as simple as how certificate security certificates are managed or not managed by a product which might be unique to your environment versus someone else's environment. Uh, I think that from a, from a business owner's perspective, again, I think showing the value of what can be done and what can be reduced in terms of ramp-up time or, or reduce the number of errors and things like that. Uh, and just being as candid as you can about, well, Given that it needs to, we need these kinds of support mechanisms. We need to purchase this equipment 
you know, with COVID-19, we need uh, some kind of disinfection process for shared devices. Uh, I like to use the term, is the pain worth the benefit? And this is not the only technology that gives us pain, as well as providing a benefit. So you, you love your smartphone, you like to use it, but you have to charge it, and it runs out of battery, and the coverage is, is possibly not good where you are. These have those types of shortcomings as well. And one of the critical areas is, for example, in the wireless networking, do you have the right coverage? Do you have the right bandwidth, especially if you're using some kind of video streaming? So I think that, I think the answer is there, there are gaps, but we've seen this show before. We've seen it when the computer came into the world, the PC came into the world. We've seen it when smartphones came into the world and the working world. And we've seen it when tablets came into the working world. Now we're seeing it with XR technology. There's, it, it's similar. It shouldn't be a surprise to people that we have certain gaps. We've seen this before. We just need to work through it. So you definitely sound very promising and con- confident about that it will find its way to day-to-day use in the in the business uh, going you know in a couple of years uh, i know you came from you know have a telecom background as well and i my background is telecom also and i normally find that when you bring in technologies uh, that are experiential and experience oriented i mean we've seen that with you know unified communications we've seen with uh, you know video streaming and now this is another level of you know uh, rich content that is being used. Uh, a lot of time, the gap is not in the technology readiness, but in the underlying infrastructure that is supporting it. Um, what's your experience so far? I mean, is the Wi-Fi that companies are using enough to do it, or do they have to really think about uh, utilizing these new technologies like private networks, 5G, and others uh, to actually make it a reality for practical use in day-to-day operations? I think it depends on the use case. For example, if you look at see what I see, remote expert type technologies, those are really collaboration solutions. They require real-time bandwidth for audio and video. And if you are using that, there at least needs to be some awareness of what kind of bandwidth requirements. Typically, they're they're fairly low, but you do need pretty low latency for those types of things. If, for example, you are doing some kind of design collaboration where you've got a, a number of people wearing some type of XR device in the same area and they're generating lots of traffic, that needs to be considered. So very sensitive to wireless network coverage and bandwidth. There is the entire device management area. Again, these are these devices, for example, a number of AR-type devices are based on Android. So we've seen that type of situation in, in the smartphone environment, the tablet environment, but there are typically some nuances that some of the products bring to bring to the front that need to be managed. Uh, there's also sensitivity of data. For example, when smartphones came out, you know, you could lose your smartphone, or smartphones could be everywhere and take photos and post them on all kind of cloud services. And there, there are similar 
similar concerns around the XR devices as well. So again, it's 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 a, it's also another it's, while it's another tool in your portfolio, it's also another group of technologies that you have that IT or some other organization has to manage, has to update the software, the software cycles have become ridiculously short for than what they were years ago. So all of those things need to be taken in consideration. The the thing that I've noticed is you, you really if if you have a good business need and it's it is consensus that there is a business need, that that will then push that infrastructure readiness to be available, to be changed. Makes sense. Makes sense. So talking about business need, right? And I think uh, we are uh, already running out of time here. I try to keep these short, but I love the discussion. Um, I, I'm going to go back to your business uh, pain point. You know, is the pain point worth the benefit? Um in boardrooms, right? And I'm going to use that just as an, you know, as a way to just simplify the discussion. Is are business leaders still at a level where they don't understand and they need, you know, full explanation on this? Okay, when you start talking about, you know, extended reality use cases, how it is used, I mean, is it is it at a level where they look at it? Okay, what are you what are you talking about? Or they they know and they say, okay. Yeah, I understand. Give me more. Um, I already know the basics, what it is, how it can be used. Give me more now so I can make a decision. So what is that? Where are they in their maturity of understanding this and making a decision? It's still confusing. For example, I think if you're, no matter what technology you're talking about, I think you need to go back over it because people might confuse, for example, this with artificial intelligence, they might confuse it with the Internet of Things. And rightfully so, there's some synergistic pieces there. So it's not something that just rolls off the tongue. People are aware of it. Definitely something that you need to always be explaining in down-to-earth terms what it is and what it can do, and then lead over into the actual business use cases that it can solve. Makes sense. This is going to be my last question. I know you're in manufacturing, um, but where else do you see its use uh, besides manufacturing? Oh, I think there's a lot of industries. I think, as you can imagine, entertainment is probably one of the higher ones. It's where where we've gotten a lot of the virtual reality technology from. Construction. They suffer from a similar technical debt as we do in manufacturing, imagine being able to digitally represent some of the future structures in in a small area in a room for VR and then taking that out to the field and representing that in the actual physical location with AR. Medicine. So telemedicine, as you can imagine, were pretty big during COVID-19. Some of these technologies were used more even more extensively. You could imagine it being used for guided instructions during very complex type of procedures. Or uh, it's also being used, VR is being used to familiarize patients either with a procedure that's going to happen or really uh, around therapy. There are different therapies as well. Yeah, I've, I've seen that people are using AR for alleviating pain. Exactly, yes. Uh, education. So being able to do things in a classroom that are more immersive and that you can collaborate with 
imagine when we were younger, if we could have had VR headsets or, and been communicating with people across the world and sharing very realistic educational experiences, actually being, feel like we're, we're at the location that we're studying in history. That one is far-fetched, I believe, at this point, isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, actually, <laughs> it's actually more, I think it's more realistic. I think it's whether or not school systems understand uh, so, for example, I have a coworker. Uh, this isn't an education, but I have a coworker who has a relative in the medical field, and they had never heard of a technology that we're using now. And we're looking at each other, going, "Well, this technology's been out for five years. Why have they not heard about it?" And so, a lot of it is just getting that information. Yeah, I think that's the that's the challenge there, right? It's uh, I think universities I, I can easily imagine because you know they're mostly private and uh, they invest. Um, but from a, from a school perspective, right, I still see, um, it, it's going to take some really, uh, you know, forward looking, uh, superintendent to figure out that I have a budget <laughs> for something like this yes. to, to put in schools. I understand. Great. No, I think these are all great examples. I know I said that was my last question, but I'll leave the last one for you to give your final words on, what would you tell your co-peers and, uh, and enterprise CIOs and other business leaders and service providers in this space? Like, what would be your final word to that? I think the, the best advice I could give is don't wait until everything has been 100% solved and figured out. You need to get started as soon as you can. And try it out in the small, in small areas, which you think they're high value, low hanging fruit. And then you can expand from there because if you don't, your competition will be. Very well said. Very well said. I, I hope uh, uh, the people who are listening to this podcast take that seriously. Uh, that is uh, a great, great piece of advice. Rani, once again, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Ashish. Great discussion, Randy. Your insights on the implementation challenges and maturity of extended reality solutions are precious. See what I see guided instructions, remote assistance, design visualization are great use cases, but I really like the business value of accelerating the training ramp up time from weeks to hours. It will certainly help bridge the skill gap, a significant challenge many businesses face today. I hope the CIOs take your advice seriously and not wait for perfection to adopt extended reality. It has been a pleasure having you on the show, Randy. Thank you again for your time. Thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform. We hope you will continue the conversation by asking questions and sharing your thoughts on the evolving role of extended reality in manufacturing business operations. Feel free to reach out to me at ashish.jain at kairospulse.com or drop me a note on my LinkedIn. Until next time, get vaccinated and stay safe.